Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Again, I am thrilled to be back here behind the mic. Had a couple of days off, a little bit of relaxation. I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving with the fam or whoever you were with. I hope you uh, were filled with gratitude. That's what I was trying to focus on is being grateful, which I need to be all all the time every day. All right, so Dr. Josh Mulvihill, who was just in studio, deposited a couple of books for me to give away. So... If you heard that interview on Biblical, the the book is called Biblical Worldview. I've got two copies to give away, and they will go fast, like hot potatoes. So text the word book, and we'll send you a link, and then you can fill it out, and you will be part of the drawing, and we will draw today. So you will probably know in the next six to eight months if you won. But uh, I'm just kidding. We'll let you know today or tomorrow. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we've got a whole hour with Ken Samples. He's a philosopher and theologian. You can find him at reasons.org. Topic today is more than flesh and bone, the meaning of human consciousness. Hmm, it's going to be great. Be back in a minute. During this Christmas holiday season, with the emphasis on lights, we're pointing to Jesus, the light of the world. And when you support Faith Radio, you're helping others see the light. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. The light of the gospel has been shining brightly through this ministry for over 70 years. Thanks to God's grace and the generosity of thousands of listeners supporting consistently and sacrificially so the message of hope in Christ can spread throughout our communities and now across the country and around the world through online listening in the Faith Radio app. If you found hope and help through the daily teaching of God's Word, and want to see the light of Christ shining bright this Christmas season through Faith Radio, then join our support team with a gift today. Your Christmas gift will help us start the new year strong and effective as we continue to proclaim the good news. Our year-end fundraiser begins December 10th. So join us then or make your gift today online at myfaithradio.com or by calling 877-93-FAITH. is not your typical thinker. He's both a philosopher and a theologian. And he just really loves helping people understand how reasonable and relevant the truths of Christianity are. And he's um, just a delight. He's a, a monthly guest, and I always look forward, when I see Ken's name on the schedule, I always take a deep breath like, oh, this is going to be great. I'll learn so much. And he's so easy to, to talk to. And uh, you know him from Reasons.org. He's also written several books like Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World and God Among Sages. Today we're going to talk about the meaning of human consciousness. Ken, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bill. It's good to be with you. How was your Thanksgiving? 
it was very thankful and grateful and Good. enjoyed my time with the family. Good. And you did the uh, traditional meal with the uh, turkey and all the uh, fixings? We did. I tried not to overeat, but I, uh, I'm not sure how successful I was. Yeah, we, we live in a wonderful world, don't we? Lot, lots of good things to eat. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, very provocative topic, more than flesh and bone, the meaning of human consciousness. Maybe we should start, Ken, with what is consciousness? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And interestingly enough, Bill, it's not an easy question to answer, Oftentimes when philosophers talk, even theologians talk about consciousness, but we, we equate it with our mind, our thoughts, our our ability to, to sense and have awareness. So I, I would roughly say that consciousness refers to our, our mental states, our, our, our thinking abilities. Okay. Now, is there, what is the, the uh, origin of the word? Is it Con must mean with, and um, is it yeah. is it with facts? Is it is that yeah. how we would uh, say it in Latin? That would be uh, so. What are your facts? Would be maybe what your conscience is, right? Yes, uh, that's very good. I I I like anybody who asks me questions about Latin. By the way, oh thank you. Um, yeah, con would be with, and sentient would be thought or mind. So. It relates to this idea of the, the, the sentientness of our thoughts, our reflection, our thinking. Yeah, that's exactly where the word comes from. So, Ken, if somebody said, follow your conscience, that could be a very horrible thing, couldn't it? Well, and, and of course, uh, consciousness and conscience, they undoubtedly have a connection. But, mm -hmm. yeah, you have to be careful about the word you're using. Yeah. All right, let's maybe try to draw a distinction between consciousness and conscience yeah well let me let me put it this way I I, I think the I think the big uh, I think the big challenge in philosophy is what we call the mind-body problem and the mind-body problem put simply is it, it seems like there are two different substances or two different things I mean I, I have a body but I also have a mind and what is the relationship between those two? You know, the, the body seems physical and material. The mind seems abstract. And we're not sure how consciousness or the mind relates to the body. Now, if I could tie in conscience, well, that, that would have to do with reflection about my the, the moral state of my behavior or whether my life is being lived consistently. Uh, and so it would, it would tie into that whole idea of kind of living a reflective life. Okay. So I got to dig a little bit deeper into this idea because I'm, I'm, I got a lot of questions. So let's talk about consciousness more. And what about the, the expression immaterial consciousness? And what is that? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, let me let me bring it back to this idea of the mind-body problem. Um, you know, I I have a body, I have a brain. Uh, it's physical, it's material, it it's extended in space. Uh, I remember years ago I had a a brain illness, and one of the technicians with an MRI let me see my brain uh, on computer screen. 
My first thought, Bill, was I thought it would be bigger. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> but uh, obviously, our body and our brain is is material. It's it's physical. Uh, it's natural. It's extended in space. But consciousness, our mind, is is not physical. It's not material. It's immaterial. It's non-physical. Uh, it's it's abstract in nature. And so one of the big challenges in philosophy is how can you bring those two together when they seem so fundamentally different? Uh, and of course, this relates to uh, worldview issues and apologetic issues, because if you're an atheist and a naturalist, you're going to say that you're somehow your brain has to cause consciousness. If you're a Christian, on the other hand, you're typically going to argue that, yes, you have a brain, but consciousness is something uh, even distinct from the brain. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the big uh, challenging point. And, and many people would say, who are atheists, who are naturalists, who are skeptics, they would say we have the intractable problem of consciousness. How in the world did, did a physical reality, a material body, develop the ability to to think. And I would say that consciousness involves, you know, I, I'm conscious right now that I'm talking to you. You have a consciousness. I have a consciousness. We're tracking with each other. We're talking with each other. But uh, Bill, we also have in philosophy what we call intentionality. And all that means is I can focus my consciousness towards something. Like, um, I'm thinking right now, for example, of uh, last year's Christmas morning with my family. Mm -hmm. Or I'm thinking, uh, you know, back when 9-11 happened and this terrible catastrophe in the country. Or maybe even better yet, I can think about things that don't actually exist. But right now I'm thinking about a unicorn. I'm, I'm thinking about, a, I'm, I'm Irish, so I'm thinking about a leprechaun. It's interesting how our consciousness can actually be focused toward things, and sometimes those things don't even have to exist. That's a very extraordinary uh, element of, of being a conscious being. All right, Ken, this is really, um, this is not the easiest thing for me to put my hands around, and I have a feeling many listeners are in my boat right now, so let's, we all got to row together here. Um, is there a... a uh, has science offered a way to um, give an explanation as to how and why we have immaterial c consciousness? Or well, I, I would put it this way, Bill. I would say that um, you have kind of an overlap in philosophy and in science. And so you have, uh, you have neuroscience, you have... Uh, doctors in neurology, you have philosophers of mind, and obviously this this includes the study of the brain, but also somehow what is extended beyond the brain. I would say that one of the most profound mysteries, both in science and philosophy, is trying to understand consciousness, where it came from, how to explain it. In fact, there, there are leading experts uh, in neuroscience, philosophy of the mind, who are atheists, who would call it the hard problem of consciousness. Uh, 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 Thomas Nagel, who is a big name philosopher of mind, taught at New York University. Uh, he, is a, he is an atheist. He is a naturalist. 
Uh, he has given up on, on Darwinian evolution as an explanation of consciousness. And he says, he says he doesn't think naturalism has any explanation. And he went so far as to propose panpsychism. This is kind of a, an ancient belief that, that, uh, that consciousness is part of everything. And so uh, I think that's a great concession. He, says, he is essentially saying that to get consciousness, you have to start with it. You can't develop it. And often in the past, secular scientists, secular philosophers have argued that somehow the brain evolved to a point of complexity, and then there was an emergence of consciousness or mind. But Nagel says that's a dead end. It seems that consciousness is a, a property of, of the world and of reality. And I would say that that points in the direction of, more of theism. All right, Ken, I need to take a little break. Uh, Ken Samples is my guest. I want to open up the text line if you have a question. Maybe you need some clarification over something Ken said. Let us know what it is. We'd love for you to be involved in this uh, discussion. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Happy to be having Ken Samples as my guest the whole hour. He's a philosopher and a theologian, and boy, does he think deeply. And I'm talking about the meaning of human consciousness today. So this has uh, been a very challenging subject. I, I don't think I think about this very often, but it's uh, it's one that is uh, full of of uh, very differing opinions. And it sounds Ken like some of the atheists are struggling with the idea that consciousness just can't happen without a consciousness giver. Yeah, no, you're, you're tracking just right, Bill. Um, th think of it this way. Um, let, let's look briefly at two views. The first one will be an atheistic secularist view, a naturalist view. The second will be a religious, theistic, Christian-oriented. The first view atheistic naturalism, they would say that nature caused mind. That is, that is somehow, uh, through blind mechanistic natural processes, the human brain evolved and it developed to a level of complexity where there was an emergence of consciousness, actual self-thought and reflection. So with the atheist view, nature causes mind, it's unguided. There's no mind behind the universe. Now, now let's look at the theistic view, the religious view. Instead of saying nature caused mind, the religious view would say mind caused nature. That is that there is a, an ultimate mind, a divine mind behind the universe. And this divine mind caused the universe to, to be created. Nature is, is the effect and, and God's mind is the cause. Well, you know, in looking at both of them, one of them, the atheist view, you would have no rational uh, divine consciousness behind it. But from a Christian point of view, a theistic point of view, everything is the product of mind. 
And that is one of the reasons I think that theism is superior to atheism. I think the universe we live in gives evidence of reason, rationality, order, reflection. And I think in the naturalist point of view, you'd have to say every every rational component came from something that's non-rational. So in an atheist universe, we can think about the universe and the universe can't think about us. But from a theistic or Christian point of view, you and I can think because our creator can think and he created conscious or thinking people. Ken, that's such an important point. And I think of the, the alternative, if you've got this big bowl of primordial soup and it blew up, that that would create all these, this consciousness that we have and the ability to think and, and reason and have rationale. I just, I have a hard time going down that road. That's, that's a very difficult, I mean, for, for any atheist or secularist who may be listening to your program, I mean, to think about the view that, that reason comes from non-reason, mm-hmm. mind comes from non-mind, uh, consciousness comes from non-consciousness, as opposed to the Christian view, mind from mind, reason from reason, consciousness from a superconsciousness. I think I think that the theistic, the religious, the Christian perspective carries greater explanatory power, a, a, a greater sense of uh, of reason. You put all that in a sippy cup. I was able to understand everything you just said. Well, you're, it's because you're you're such a rational talk show host. <laughs> You're being nice, Ken. But no, seriously, there's um, this idea I've always had that a mind outside this world created this world and then gave us all of these wonderful, amazing gifts. So that's the only thing that even remotely makes sense to me. Yes. And I, I think, Bill, if to, to take it a step further, if if there is no mind behind the universe, and if our our brains have evolved through purely unguided natural processes, it's difficult to know whether evolution has really given us uh, the ability to, uh, you know, to to have reason and rationality. Um, you know, uh, evolutionists often say the reason that people like you and me believe in God or objective morality or life after death, they say, well, those beliefs at some point had had survival advantages. But but my point would be, and this is a this is an abstract point, but I think it's a powerful one. If 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 evolution has put false beliefs in our mind, I'm not sure we can trust our mind to give us true beliefs about the world. And if that's the case, then I think evolution and the secular worldview comes crashing down. Yeah, good point. So, Ken, how much of a challenge is this for the scientific community? Do they do they go back and forth on this a lot, and how do they how do they deal with this challenge? I think it's a huge challenge. Uh, you know, in philosophy and science, it is known as the intractable problem of consciousness. I mean, th- there are these really big challenges like the origin of life, the origin of consciousness. These are not easy. They're they're not easy for any worldview to you know easily explain, but I I think many naturalists, many secularists who are scientists, their basic perspective is well look we haven't been studying this all that long. Give us time. Maybe maybe there'll be a breakthrough. Maybe there'll be an understanding that will uh, allow us to understand how the mind could have come from from non consciousness. 
But, you know, to be perfectly candid, there are many secular scientists and philosophers who feel like um, we're not any closer to understanding consciousness. It's it's a mystery. And uh, that's where I think that's where I think the explanatory power of religion and particularly the Judeo-Christian religions, I, I think, uh, play an important role in this in this deeply mysterious subject. And it is deeply mysterious. All right. Maybe we can talk about um, the significance that would be in the reality that we as humans, we can reflect upon the universe, but the universe can't really reflect upon us, can it? No, that's exactly right. And I think I think this is a good thought experiment for your listening audience that you know, let's say there's no God, and let's say somehow the universe is here, maybe it's a brute reality, somehow through tremendously improbable odds, evolution has produced uh, human beings. So, so now we can think, and we can reflect, and we can ask questions about the universe, and, and the universe doesn't have a mind. The universe doesn't have consciousness. The universe cannot think about us and reflect about us, but we who are the effect are now greater than the cause because we can think back to the universe and say, wow, there was a time when there was no conscious beings. We have become greater uh, in some sense than the universe because we can think and reflect. But, but again, the religious perspective says, oh, no, the, the, the theistic Christian point of view says God is an infinite, eternal conscious spiritual reality, and he created creatures and gave them the capacity to think and to reflect. So yeah, in an atheist, naturalist, secularist worldview, human beings can can reflect on the universe in a way the universe can never, can never return. When you... Uh, I've encountered people that don't have a spiritual, I mean, a really strong spiritual life or faith and they will sometimes talk about um, the higher power as the universe. And yeah. I've never quite, I don't know if I've quite ever understood what their position is, or maybe I've never really asked them to explain that. But what would you say that their their take is on that? Well, you know, there is a diversity of thought in the various world's religions. For example, in Hinduism, uh you you could hold the view that all reality is one, and that one reality is God, so the universe is God. Um, you know, that would be some kind of pantheism or monism. Monism uh, means one, so one ultimate reality that's mind or consciousness. So if you were a pantheistic Hindu, you could argue that everything is God, and therefore we're God. Uh, you'd see that in... Krishna consciousness, you'd see it in Eastern mysticism. Uh, that was very popular in the, you know, when the religions became popular in the 60s in America. Mm-hmm. So you you would have all reality is, is one thing, that one thing is God, so the universe is God. Yeah, Ken, let me take a little break. Um, Ken Samples is my guest. We're going to continue this fascinating discussion on consciousness. So let me know what your questions are, 877 933 We'll be back with Ken in 90 seconds.
Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest. He's a philosopher and theologian. Learn more about him at reasons.org. He's authored many books. One's called The Christian Endgame. Another one is called Seven Truths That Changed the World and God Among Sages. We're talking about more than flesh and bone, the meaning of human consciousness. And Ken, I don't know if you're like me, but I think about every guy my age at one point has memorized Bill Murray's monologue in Caddyshack that on his deathbed he'll receive total consciousness. (laughs) That's a... That's a, a cult classic. Indeed it uh, is. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the first times I think we all thought about, hmm, what is consciousness on your deathbed? And there's uh, some questions that are coming in from listeners, and one was dealing about that. What about people who have near-death experiences and their consciousness continues? Yeah, I uh, used to teach a university course called, uh, it was entitled Perspectives on Death and Dying, and Part of that course, we would look at near-death experiences, and there are some very interesting and provocative cases where people have had an after-death experience, either uh, heart problems or something of that nature, where they have actually been, um, uh, you know, where, where they're clinically dead. And yet, when they're revived, they can tell information that they didn't have access to. They knew the names of the doctors in the room. Uh, They knew uh, who had come to visit them. Um, There are some profound cases. Uh, In fact, uh, A.J. Ayer, who is a 20th century famous analytical philosopher, uh, he was in the hospital uh, and somebody brought him some salmon because he loved uh, eating that particular fish. He began choking, had a near-death experience where he had an encounter with uh, beings after after death. And when he came back, he said, uh, though I'm an atheist, I mean, he was kind of like the Richard Dawkins of his time, the atheist of atheists. A.J. Ayer said he now believed that there was consciousness, there was existence after physical death. So uh, near-death experiences are a very interesting field. Uh, Some of them, I think, are sketchy. I don't think we should accept all of the data, but there are some cases that really make you think uh, and are supportive of of the idea that we'll be conscious after the death of our body. Well, there's another listener, Ken, that says, is mind non-spiritual, partly spiritual? totally spiritual or something else? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think you do. You've yeah. got some, you've trained them well yes, and they, uh, they work with you. <laughs> um, I, I would say that the, the basic Christian position, uh, I, I think generally I could say it's the biblical position, is what we would call a mind-body dualism. That is, the, generally the Christian belief is that we're a union of two substances or two realities. There is the body, the physical side of us, and then there is the non-physical, immaterial, call it the soul or the spirit. And we have a soul that is enfleshed. So we're a union of body and soul. I would say that the consciousness uh, our mind, our consciousness, is an extension of the of the soul. It's connected to the brain, but it's not it's not identical to the brain. All right, now Ken, let me ask about just pointing to God as the Creator. So, 
he would have God has a conscience, a conscience, and he's conscious. So that's how we got our consciousness. Um, I know we've been chatting about this, but I just kind of want to go back to this point. Um, as we look at how we become image bearers of God, I would say, would you say that this is a significant part of being an image bearer of God? Yeah, I would. Um, you know, when we think about the image of God, so we're talking about uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27, that were created in the image of God. Uh, the classical Christian perspective is that the image of God is that we resemble God, that we have certain qualities or characteristics. Now, they're finite and they're limited, whereas God is eternal and infinite. But some of those qualities would undoubtedly be that we're, we're personal and conscious beings, that we're capable of making moral choices, that we're spiritual creatures. Uh, that's kind of classically the way the image of God has been thought. More contemporary thinkers, theologians, philosophers have said, maybe the image of God has more to do that we're relational, because after all, the Trinity, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are like a community. It's relational. Others have said maybe the image of God has more to do with we represent God, we take dominion over nature, we're his vice regents. But I would tie all that together uh, Bill, and I would say the reason that we are relational, the reason we can represent God, is because we do resemble him, and and that resemblance would include being personal, being moral, and being spiritual. So, Ken, when God gives us this ability to have consciousness, um, you think that his ability as God who knows everything, and a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing yeah. What kind of capacity has he given us? Do you have any way to measure? Does the scientific community say this is this is the consciousness package that God has offered humans? Yeah, I th I think that they have, and I, I I think it contains an enigma and an irony. I've heard scientists say that the brain mind relationship is the most complex mechanism in the known universe. Uh, you know, the brain, deeply complex, and then this relationship of the brain to consciousness, very difficult to explain. But I often hear scientists say that the complexity with regard to the mind and, and to the brain extends beyond anything else that we've ever known but, it, but again, now the question is, in kind of an apologetic worldview question, how do we account for that? In one of my books, I have a little chart where I have a biblical perspective and an atheistic perspective. From a biblical perspective, I put, you know, persons from the superpersonal, minds from the ultimate mind, order from an orderer, reason from the rational— but on the atheist side, I say persons from the impersonal, minds from the mindless, order from the orderless, reason from the non-rational. I mean, we're back to that basic argument, which seems more 
plausible, which seems more reasonable, which carries greater explanatory power. I think believing in God makes good common sense. No, I agree. So, Ken, I suppose we all agree on the on the idea that consciousness exists. I mean, that, in, intuitively, we all go, yeah, that exists. Now, as it's been studied and explained and looked at, um, has the has it changed over time? I mean, did we once look at the inner self or the inner life and you think of things like introspection or private thought or um, does that make up your consciousness? Yeah, it, it certainly does. I mean, there, there, there are peculiar things about being a conscious person. Um, I mean, you, right now, I'm thinking of your consciousness. And, Thank you. And, and you're interacting with mine. You're, you're, you know, I can't see you. You can't see me. But we're interacting intellectually. We're, we're, inter, we're interacting in a cerebral type of, of way. Uh, and I, I would go on to say that our minds are intentional we can think about things. And another distinct feature of our consciousness or our mind, our intellectual abilities, Bill, is you can think about your subjective elements. That is, you know, you can you can have your own personal hurts. You can have your own personal uh, issues of grief or sorrow or suffering. So while we share certain things, they're also very private and subjective in nature. And, and again, it's very difficult to account for all of this from a purely naturalistic perspective. It se- seems like our consciousnesses are, are both objective and subjective. They're, they're outward and private. Mm-hmm. And Ken, uh, is it safe to say we've been talking about consciousness from a, a Western philosophical standpoint? Yes. And uh, again, if we were to entertain kind of an Eastern mysticism, um, you know, in, in some of the Eastern religions, they may say that the material physical world doesn't exist. Maybe it's an, maybe it's an illusion and all that really exists is consciousness or s- the spirit or the mind. So what, one of the parts that the West wrestles with is how does mind and the physical, the body, the material relate to each other? In Eastern philosophy, in Eastern religion, they're much more likely to give up on anything being ultimately physical or material. All right. Um, so when we think of, of consciousness, um, are, are we talking about... Um, knowledge in general, or are we talking about intentionality, or is it a hybrid of all of the above, or do I not know at all what I'm talking about? No, I, I, think, you're, I think you're on the right track. I, I think that consciousness, it involves uh, our thinking. I mean, there, I mean, right now we can, we can think through an argument. I, can, I, can, I have been attempting in the time we've been talking to make a, a, a reasonable case for why it makes more sense to believe that mind causes mind rather than mind from the mindless. So you and I are thinking right now. We're, we're reflecting. We're weighing arguments. We're, we're interacting philosophically. The mind involves consciousness. It involves intentionality. 
It involves reflection. It involves our, our personal states and our senses. All of that is that remarkable thing we call consciousness. Mm-hmm. Ken, would animals have consciousness? Well, that's a that's a terrific question. Um, I, you know, I'm an animal lover. I, uh, my whole life, I have had animals and been fascinated with them. I, I think it's very clear that that animals, the, the higher animals, they they have uh, a sense of mind and consciousness. You know, when I I have two dogs and a cat at home, um, it's very clear that they can. You know, they kind of can communicate, uh, they can think, they can work through. Sometimes when it comes to, to nature, they're more skilled than I am, you know, and <laughs> mm-hmm. tracking, smelling. I mean, think of a bear and its ability to smell or any of these kinds of things. I, th- I think, however, that it's probably the case. Now, you know, I can't speak for some people say that dolphins or you know, certain really high-functioning animals, maybe an elephant, uh, that their 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 level of consciousness may exceed other animals. But what I what I don't think animals do is I don't think that they think about philosophy. I I don't think animals develop science or do mathematics. It it seems that animals are conscious and they have consciousness but they don't seem to think analytically, philosophically, or scientifically the way humans do. Mm-hmm. Ken Samples is my guest. We're going to take a little break. If you have a question or would like to ask uh, anything about uh, philosophy or consciousness, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. Again, Ken Samples is my guest. Reasons.org, you can go learn more about Ken. We'll take 90 seconds and be back with Ken. Welcome back to the show. Ken Samples is my guest. He's nice enough to come on the show every month. I love that. We're talking about consciousness today. And during the break, Ken, I just, my mind's going really fast. Maybe it's my consciousness going fast. I don't even know. But when I think of people trying to control levels of consciousness, when they go into like a state and they're able to allow things to happen to them, you know, you see things on you know, TV, you go, how are they letting these people do this to this guy? You know, because he's in this altered state of consciousness. Is that something that he's controlling or um, am I just being taken by a, a stunt? Well, I, I, I guess I would say this, Bill. Um, obviously, our, our conscious state is a very personal state. It, it can involve a very subjective side. I think it is possible to manipulate people's consciousness. I think it is possible to abuse people's consciousness. Mm-hmm. And and I tend to think that, you know, one of the most unique parts of us is our conscious ability to think and reason. Um, I I think we should be very careful about the kinds of things we subject ourselves to, either psychologically or spiritually. 
Um, you know, I know people who who struggle with mental health issues and how vulnerable that they can be under certain conditions. So I think Christians should be uh, very much up on the need to encourage, support, protect, uh, and to nurture uh, people's mind and emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. Ken, I know you're not a medical doctor, you're a philosopher and theologian, but as we talk about consciousness, and it makes me wonder when when people have, like, say, a, a epileptic attack or something, are they experiencing altered states of consciousness? Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, in 2003, I had a brain illness. I had six abscessed brain lesions. The uh, mortality rate is 80%. Wow. I was very fortunate. The good Lord uh, was gracious to me. I had good medicine. But I remember being very sick, and they were pumping a lot of drugs to try to it ultimately was caused by bacteria, but they weren't sure at the time. They thought it could be brain cancer. Uh, they were very pessimistic. Um, but I remember that I was able to think and I was able to reason, but my my mind seemed clouded. And and therefore, I think before this illness, Bill, I thought, well, I, I am a, a soul or I'm a mind who happens to have a body as if my body or my brain was incidental. But I've changed my mind about that. I think that we should think of ourselves as a union of body and soul, a union of body and mind, brain and mind. And therefore, what happens to my brain happens to me. And I think we should see ourselves as a union of those things. And that's encouraged me to take better care of my body, not to see it as merely... You know, I'm I'm like a spirit floating around in the body as if the body is incidental. We're both. We're a, we're a brain and mind in union. Mm-hmm. Another question from a listener, Ken. Does quantum physics have something to do with consciousness? I have a very dim knowledge of quantum physics, but I have an idea that they are connected. Well, there, there are lots of, I mean, quantum mechanics uh, and... Quantum mechanics relates to the very small, you know, we're, we're you know, dealing with the subatomic le level, particles and waves. And part of the challenge of quantum mechanics is that things at, the, at that level, the very small level, they operate differently than at the very large level. And, uh, and so you have kind of counterintuitive or mysterious elements. I mean, when you think about we think about light. Light under certain experimental conditions uh, uh, behaves like a wave. Under other experimental conditions, it behaves like a particle. And so it seems mysterious or, or counterintuitive. There are people who, who use quantum mechanics to, to think about maybe how to, to reflect about the state of consciousness. But I'm at that point, uh, I'm not an expert on quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of generalizing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you taking a stab at that one. You know, another thing that comes to mind right away that I think a lot of people would be curious about is the effect that certain um, psychoact psychoactive drugs or possibly alcohol, uh, yeah. that, uh, that I think would be the most obvious notable effects on consciousness. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought it up. I mean, um, 
one of the things we haven't talked about is that that the brain is not only physical, it's chemical. Mm. And um, obviously, you know, I, I know people in my family who've struggled with alcoholism. And when they're sober, they're one person. When they're not sober, when they're intoxicated, they're almost a completely different person. And I've also had family and friends who have struggled with mental health issues. I've seen how antidepressant medication can sometimes help. Uh, it, it never seems to be an ultimate cure, but there are, are occasions when it can kind of stabilize maybe uh, a person's fundamental uh, health challenge. And so, you know, the brain, uh, the brain is very complex. Uh, you know, it's 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 neurological, it's physiological, it's chemical. Uh, it, it really is one of the most complex things anybody could ever, you know, think about or or study. Mm-hmm. Ken, when you hear the expression "stream of consciousness," what what does that mean to you? How could you explain that? Yeah, that, that's kind of a, kind of a popular expression—a stream of consciousness. That is, that is when we when we think, uh, you know, our thoughts are not extended in space. I mean, a, a brain or a rock or a tree that that has height and depth and all of these kinds of things. It's extended in space, but our consciousness is abstract. It's non-physical. It's immaterial. But it but it seems like it kind of flows like a stream of water. That it it, it kind of it kind of emanates out of us. So a stream of consciousness would be, you know, uh, a series of thoughts or reflections or analysis. Mm-hmm. When I think about self-reflection, I mean, you pretty much need consciousness to do that, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, there's no way to be a thoughtful, reflective, uh, you know, obviously human being, a definitive feature of human beings is that we can think and reason and reflect. And that's totally dependent on us being conscious beings. Mm-hmm. Rocks don't do it. Yeah. I, I, you know, insects don't do it. And I think animals do it, but only in a limited way. Yeah. So, Ken, um, when I think about consciousness, and I, uh, then the other word that comes to mind is awareness. And, of course, having awareness is good. And as Christians, um, how, how, should, how can we and how should we think about this subject of consciousness and be best equipped to go serve God's plan for our lives and and to have an awareness of what's going on around us? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think there are some things that can be very meaningful and helpful to us. I think in one way, I mean, we can think about God as 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 having consciousness, God being a mind. I mean, God doesn't have a body. Now, Jesus's human nature had a body, but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're immaterial, non-physical. They're spiritual beings. They don't have a body, but they are, God is like an infinite consciousness. Uh, therefore, when we think about our own consciousness, we can think, we can reason, uh, we have these analytical abilities. God, God has those with no limits. So I, I think in one sense, it can kind of help us think about the nature of God. I, I think we can also realize that, you know, the, the way you think really defines who you are, um, how you think about morality, how how you think about work, how you 
you know, how you think about politics. All of our thinking is such a, a very important thing. I think Christians want to think carefully. We want to think critically. We want to think biblically. We want our thinking to be influenced by God's Word and His revelation. And I think we also want to take care of our ability. I mean, one of the scary things is, you know, maybe a person getting Alzheimer's where they are conscious beings, but they can no longer connect with memory. Um, you know, that's again why I, I think Christians want uh, to realize that a, a huge part of being a human being is is having consciousness, and you don't want to waste it. I mean, if if it's true that even secular scientists say our, our brain-mind relationship, that consciousness, is the most complex mechanism in the known universe— then that commercial uh, is really true. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. <laughs> Ken, you're such a delight. Thank you so much for bringing this subject uh, to our attention and talking about it so eloquently. Uh, just love, I love hearing from you, and thank you for doing the show once again. Well, I'm honored to be with you, Bill, and th thank you for all of the great questions. I, I appreciate being with you each month. Thank yeah, you again. Thank you. My listeners love Ken Samples. So look forward to our, our time next month as well. That wraps up our show. Thank you so much for uh, listening today. If you missed any of the show, go to MyFaithRadio.com. You can check out the podcast. It should be up in a little bit. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. And uh, God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.